It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today's episode is all about energy systems training or bioenergetics, which is essentially how the body fuels its activities, including the way we move. So Josh, I know you've put a lot of years into this and this is certainly more your expertise. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to try to hang with you, but <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking a good way to probably to kick this off is just to dispel a common misconception regarding the topic. So anyone that's listening, physical therapist, strength coach, anyone with exercise science background, when it's taught at the basic kindergarten level, I think we're all told that first your ATP CP system turns on then when it runs out of fuel, you go into anaerobic or the glycolytic system for about two minutes. And then after that, the aerobic system revs up and turns on. But in reality, all these systems are turned on at the same time, then get up or down regulated depending on the individual. So am I in line with that thought process, Josh? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. They're all always working and the intensity of the activity or the duration activity is really going to kind of dictate which one is going to be your primary source of fuel. And as, as you said, you alluded to the duration aspect of it. Um, you know, Some of them are, uh, are going to be more prevalent and be more active at uh, or at least in, when the intensity is really high and the duration is really short. And then as the duration gets longer, intensity, of course, drops. And yes, then the aerobic system will be more the primary system. But you're exactly right. They're all working at all times, man. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. So I guess with that line of thinking, then, you know, one thing that always resonated with me is that when it comes to thinking about these systems with training or, or programming, before a person dives into glycolytics or anaerobic exercise, it doesn't matter what sport you play or what kind of person you are. You, you, if you think of it like a pyramid, we first need to develop an aerobic base and go from there. So I thought that'd be a good one to talk, talk about first then, since you know, I, think you're, I think we're both in agreement that that's where we need to start. Uh, um, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, you're exactly right, man. I think uh, it, uh, one area that people sometimes forget is the aerobic system is also really supports anaerobic metabolism. So when we have anaerobic metabolism, we create all these negative byproducts that are decreasing pH and they're they're creating that burning feeling. Well, our aerobic system is largely responsible for clearing out those byproducts and allowing us to do these repeated bouts of higher intensity effort. So uh, and no matter what the sport, even if it's something as far on the anaerobic spectrum as, say, Olympic weightlifting, where you do six, you know, whiffs, you know, in a meet, you know, having a well-developed aerobic system, not only going to help you on, uh, you know, in terms of uh, recovering between attempts on a meet day, but really in training, allowing you to have, you know, to train at a higher volume because you're able to uh, recover better between attempts. So uh, the aerobic system is, is extremely important. And 
uh, it sometimes I feel like gets a bad rap, or uh, especially in this this world, uh, the CrossFit world, which you and I uh, have to deal with a lot, and uh, are lucky enough to work with some great CrossFit athletes. Uh, a lot of people, you know, when they come to me, I don't know when they come to you, but uh, they'll they'll never have done a workout longer than fifteen minutes, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things. It's kind of a little bit of some athlete education there on the importance of doing uh, you know, more aerobic activities. And there's a wide range of ways you can do things. For me personally, I do like to start on the longer end of the spectrum. I like to build people up with some more long, slow distance type stuff just to get them used to doing it. Um, and that doesn't have to be you know, running. You know, the Classically, it's just go out and run and get your miles in on the track um, or on the road. Uh, for me, it's building them. Maybe it's 30 minutes on an assault bike or on a rower and building them up from there. Um, to, you know, I like to start on that end just to get people used to moving for that long. And it doesn't necessarily have to just be monostructural. It can be, uh, you know, five rounds of a thousand meter row, 50 meter farmer's carry, uh, 30 assault bike calories, uh, five strict pull ups, and a 10 meter handstand walk. Uh, you know, it could be, you know, that's still very aerobic and yes, it's still, uh, it's mixed modal. Um, and sometimes that keeps it a little bit more interesting, uh, but still it's really just aerobic work. Um, and I think it's important to include that no matter your sport, but especially if fitness is your sport, uh, I think that sometimes it gets neglected. Uh, and you know, at least for me, I, I prioritize it uh, a lot, especially in the off season, especially right after competition's done. Um, I think we spend a little too much time in the CrossFit world, um, you know, going hard in that three to eight minute range and, and not enough time allowing us for some more aerobic adaptation. So I like to, I like to put in the long work. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that attracts people to CrossFit in the first place is, you know, it's such, it's, it's constantly varied, right? So, um, it, it never gets boring, but you know, if you really are looking at this from an athletic development standpoint, it, aerobic training is training. I hear a lot of CrossFit athletes refer to it as active recovery. Right. You know, Josh programmed 30 minutes or an hour of uh, biking or, or the you know mixed modal stuff, you know, biking, carrying that kind of thing too. But, you know, that's where a lot of really good adaptations occur. And you know, that's down to the uh, cardiovascular structures and uh, the, the mitochondria of the cells. Um, and, you know, another thing too is I wanted you to, if you don't mind touch on is what's the intensity of this? You know, because, you know, we think about riding an airdyne or an assault bike. It sucks, right? right? Especially if you're going hard. But if we're talking about, you know, long duration, low intensity, how hard do we need to go for that? Right. And that, and for that specifically, I'm going to want their heart rate to be between maybe 65% and 75% at, at the most of maximal heart rate. It's pretty low intensity there. Um, so it, it's, like you said, it's not intended to be very strenuous uh, because we are trying to create specific adaptations and those specific adaptations include as you said from a cardiorespiratory standpoint trying to actually increase the size of the left ventricle uh, um, and in a beneficial way because we always think pathological uh, you know adaptations to the left ventricle where it's uh, thickening of the wall because we're trying to we're pushing against either stenosis or high blood pressure that's not good but you can actually increase the size of the left ventricle in terms of the chamber size which is beneficial because then we're pumping out more blood with each contraction so uh, we're actually trying to increase that through through increasing stroke volume that's going to get that a bigger stretch which is going to be that eccentric stretching is what's going to increase the size of that chamber uh you mentioned mitochondria uh so we are trying to increase mitochondrial density their number of them um and then also which in turn increases mitochondrial enzymes which is going to turn that muscle fiber into you know uh, it's going to increase its oxidative capacity it's going to be better be able to turn that oxygen into atp or utilize oxygen for apt 
ATP production. Um, but even further, we're trying to, to act on the capillary level, increasing capillary density, which is going to increase the amount of blood that we're able to get to the working tissue. Uh, so all those adaptations if you, you know, are so important uh, from a performance standpoint, uh, and they're not created through going really, really, really hard for a short duration. Um, you know, the, that has its place too, but for these specific adaptations, we actually need to keep the intensity low, go for longer durations, and, and over time, we're going to see those changes that are going to be desirable. Sure, sure. And, you know, with, with that said, you know, is this, is this also a way that people can sneak in two a days? Yeah, you exactly. Know, if we say we go hard during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Honestly, ahead, that's my favorite way to do it. Um, so I, I, you know, I think that volume is important, yes, in this sport, but you can structure your volume uh, to where everything you're doing has serves a purpose and is going to ultimately help you in the long run. And what I mean by that is a lot of my athletes they'll do they'll do doubles, they'll do two a day sessions, but they're not two CrossFit workouts, if you think of it that way, at least not in the off-season. Maybe if they're a regionals-level athlete and I need to build up volume in, uh, in a way where they're going to be doing multiple of those kind of workouts in a day to prepare them for that. But for me, a lot of my athletes, their AM or their PM session will be between 30 and 90 minutes. Again, depend, it all depends on the person's lifestyle and what they can uh, dedicate to training. But really 30, maybe to 60 minutes. And it's probably going to be more easier work. It's going to have skills in there because this is another way I can sneak, sneak in skills work in a non-fatigue setting um, so specifically say they need to work on um, you know a higher skill like muscle ups or handstand walk or, or pistols or anything like that I can throw them in there in smaller rep numbers um, within this longer aerobic piece uh, it, it allows me again to uh, you know those little contractions actually stimulate recovery um, you know so having those small um, contractions I try to avoid any eccentrics if I can during that or minimize my eccentrics there so I'm not furthering any um, you know mechanical damage I'm really focusing on um, moving blood. Moving blood is so important for recovery. Uh, so not only am I creating these beneficial adaptations, but I'm also getting the recovery aspect and I'm getting the skill work aspect. And that's one way I like to, um, you know, incorporate uh, more volume into somebody's training program because it's just, it's only going to enhance the rest of their training that I'm having them do. Sure, sure. Awesome, man. And, and just to kind of switch gears a little bit too, um, you know, this is something that we routinely use in the rehab world too. So we're talking about post op you know, let's take a shoulder, for example, you know, they're going to spend an hour with us doing, you know, skilled rehab, manual therapy, exercise, that kind of thing. But it's very common that after our session together, you know, we may stick them on a bike and I'm not going to bill for that time because it's not skilled, but, you know, I may say, Hey, you're done with your session for today. If you got a lecture time, I'd like you to you know, spend, you know, 30 to 45 minutes on a bike, you know, play on your, play on your phone if you want to a little bit, but you know, the purposes of this are for these systemic effects that, you know, Josh was talking about that's not going to be for everybody. Um, that's definitely gonna be more for someone who's a more savvy, uh, maybe more of athletic background, but you know, we often do see a better long-term result because some people just are too unfit to get better. Um, and the other spectrum of that is I don't see this as often now as I used to, but you know, back in the day, there was a couple surgeons where we routinely get some total joints replacement, total joint replacements. And these were people that were like morbidly obese, type two diabetes. He's completely sedentary. They basically, you know, sat around all day long and they're being set up for failure. Um, so, you know, the, the good surgeons are going to tell their patients to lose weight, but the better ones are actually get them on a, on a, just a simple walking program. And that can be night and day. I can for some people be, um, you know, life or death, um, this kind of situation. So this stuff is important and, you know, this stuff is, is highly applicable to the rehab setting and not just strength conditioning as well. Um, so, 
I guess uh, switching gears here a little bit, um, that was a pretty good review of aerobics. I mean, from what I understand, though, that the, the, the anaerobic anaerobic systems sort of kind of work against each other a little bit, right? Yeah, it's you know, it, in a way. In a way, yeah. It's so it's one of those things that it's if if we're stressing the body in a multitude of different ways, we're trying to create aerobic adaptation, we're trying to create anaerobic adaptations, uh, we're trying to you know increase strength and hypertrophy. Uh, your your body kind of has a maximal amount of, of volume and things that it can recover from. So it's going to kind of you know, it's pick and choose what it's really going to adapt to. And it, it, you're really not going to make a ton of progress uh, by trying to throw a bunch of darts at the wall, in a sense. So um, for me, I'm prioritizing when I'm really developing the uh, anaerobic system and prioritizing how I do it. Um, you know, if you think about it, we've, we all know how to, or we at least have been exposed to, different methods of periodization for strength and hypertrophy. That's kind of, um, you know, classically where most of the research is done, and we can point to numerous um, different um, resources out there and ways to do that. However, energy system training can also be prioritized. And uh, that, my first exposure to this really is through, uh, you know, James Fitzgerald kind of talking about this, and it just made sense. It's like, why, why am I not periodizing this as well? So for me, when I'm, uh, you know, working with an athlete, I'm looking at their season or their year, if they have, a, you know, this is, a, say, a more competitive person, uh, but it doesn't have to be a competitive person. I still want to go through these same cycles with people who are, who are, you know, doing this for other reasons. But say I have an athlete, and the Open is their goal. We know the Open's going to start that last week, in, or last week in February. They just announced the dates, and it is the last week of February again. It usually is always about that time. And if I'm structuring their year-round, uh, you know, I'm going to prioritize how I want to develop them, both aerobically and anaerobically. So for me, I like to start for most people. Again, this is very generic um, and depending on if you are more enduring or more explosive um, you know this could totally change based on their background but for uh, a in the general in general speaking I'll probably start the aerobic work at the long end and the anaerobic work at the very very short end so that means I'm going to keep the anaerobic work a lactic or without lactate so for me that means I'm going to start their anaerobic work at, at you know at five seconds you know or five or six seconds quick sprint. Um, it could be on the assault bike. I love using the assault bike for this kind of thing. And I'm going to progress from there. So I might, their, their first week of, you know, you know, this off season program, if I'm starting at their anaerobic development, uh, I might be doing a lactic work, uh, what I would call a lactic power. And it might be six second assault bike sprints on the minute. And I might repeat that for, you know, six to eight reps, you know, and, and, you know, you might think, well, that's not, um, you know, that's not going to be very hard. Well, if we, if you remember, you know, this a lactic work is using the CP system, there's not the byproduct of lactate. I haven't gotten into that energy system enough for the accumulation of blood lactate, creating that burning feeling. However, it's still important to train that, you know, the CP system to be able to, uh, you know, to, to create maximal development there as well. So I'm going to start with that six second sprint. Then maybe the next week I'm going eight seconds and then maybe I'm going 10 seconds. And then I start moving into more the, I guess the endurance realm of the alactic system, working more 15 seconds, 18 seconds. Cause when we get up to around 20 seconds, I'm going to start to see, uh, you know, a little bit more, uh, lactate accumulation starting. Uh, again, it's going to be different for each person. Some people, it could be earlier. Some people, it could be a little bit later if they can prolong um, you know, uh, that the use of uh, the CP system so they're not digging into that uh, lactic system yet. And I'll start moving in. So say I'm at 15, um, you know, maybe a 15-second bike sprint, and I'm resting 2 minutes and 15 seconds. I'm going one every 2.30, um, for example, on, say on the bike, uh, just to mm-hmm. keep this uh, – 
you know, pretty generic. Uh, then I'm moving, say, 20 seconds. And now I'm doing one, I'm resting uh, three minutes and 40 seconds. I'm going 20-second bike sprint every four minutes. And, and again, we these rest times are going to get long, especially as I get longer. I might get up to, um, you know, a 60-second sec- all-out bike sprint and rest 10 minutes and then come back. My work to rest there is 1 to 10. Um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, cause that's going to be what's needed to be able to again, have a repeat effort, that system. And I'm building that up 40, 60 seconds. And then I get more lat from lactic power work into more of what I would term lactic endurance. And I'm working all the way up to two and three minute lactic repeats there. And that is what we call, you know, it's very, um, painful training, um, to use a yes. kind word there. It's, it's not fun. Yeah. It hurts. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's tough training. And again, the average person doesn't necessarily need to do that. But um, if somebody is a high level CrossFit athlete, they might have a session where I'm coming in, I have them do, uh, you know, two minute hard lactic repeats with, uh, you know, maybe I'll do like four or five of them. And I'll be resting like 10 to 15 minutes in between, uh, you know, and that's their session. And you may, you know, it's not a lot of volume there. But the intensity is so high that they need that kind of rest. So, uh, again, it depends on the person. But I'm progressing that lactic work over the course of it. And at the same time, I'm doing the opposite of the aerobic work. I'm starting on the long end. And I'm doing these aerobic intervals, and I'm progressing those down to the point where I'm going 10-minute aerobic intervals with maybe two- to three-minute rest because this is aerobic. It can be sustainable. And I'm repeating 10 minutes, a couple minutes rest, 10 minutes, a couple minutes rest, 10 minutes, and it should be all be sustainable. And then I'm going down to maybe, you know, in that instance, maybe I'm doing – five, eight minute repeats. And they're all with, um, you know, uh, you know, a short rest there working down until I'm getting down to a minute on minute off minute on minute off at higher aerobic efforts because it's still sustainable. So, um, the moral of the story really is, uh, these, these energy systems are intertwined. As you mentioned, very first thing, they're all intertwined and they all compete for resources sometimes. And, and in terms of recovery and adaptation, they're going to be competing. So it's important to have them structured in a manner to where you can progress this person because in, you know, in this instance, a competitive athlete, I know when game day is, so I need them most prepared for whatever is thrown out on game day. And if I just do random things in their training all year round, you know, they're not going to make as much progress as if I progress these uh, appropriately and periodize their energy system training just as I would their strength and hypertrophy training. Sure. Yeah, that. That's important. You know, that's, I think a lot of people don't realize that you shouldn't just do glycolytic or high intensity training all year round. But Mm -hmm. I did just want to like echo that, that, uh, last thing you said about the intervals, um, especially like a sprint on the aerodyne, like real, real anaerobic training is horrible. It is awful. Mm -hmm. Like just anyone listening, try a minute or just 30 seconds, just all out sprint on an aerodyne. Um, you know, I think the most common interval system that everybody's heard of is Tabata training. You know, it's eight rounds of 20 seconds on 10 seconds off. Right. But I don't think anyone does like real Tabata training. Uh, I think yeah. I think like the original one, you're supposed to go at a 170% effort and sustain that. But you know, by the time you get that eight set with 10 seconds of rest, you're probably going at 60% right. yeah. at the most. But you know, it's it's hard for people to to wrap their minds around needing that much rest, 10 to 15 minutes to right. actually create those adaptations. But that's what you got to do if you're gonna if you're gonna do real anaerobic training. Right. Um, so just to kind of just I'm trying to I'm trying to put this all together in my head. So. You know, I think just just thinking about like the the ideal situation. You know, I, to perform well in a sport, we probably want like a high oxidative capacity of all the muscle fiber types, like type mm-hmm. one, type two, type two X. Is is that really possible? Can can you do that? And I guess if so, does that just go back to periodization? Just kind of looking at things from the from the you know the long term view. So 
I think the most important thing first is to look at the energy system demands of that particular sport because we've been speaking in terms of, or at least I've been speaking in terms of, you know, CrossFitters in which, you know, we don't really know the events, but that's different for somebody who run, is running a marathon or somebody that is a weightlifter, uh, you know, or sports where the events are a little bit more known. So um, mm-hmm. for me, uh, I, I'm going to, yes, with a CrossFitter or somebody that's, you know, I have to be able to be prepared for some of these more anaerobic type efforts. Uh, I will probably lose a little bit of that aerobic capacity as I prep their anaerobic system. Um, you know, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's inevitable. Um, similarly, as I prep the anaerobic system, I'm probably going to lose a little bit of their overall maximal strength just because I, it's extremely difficult to be as strong as you phys- physically could be, as enduring as you physically could be, and as quote unquote fit in terms of that, you know, your anaerobic capacity as you could be all at the same mm-hmm. time. So for me, my Nothing's goal, free. everything yeah, comes at a cost. Exactly, man. So my goal is to, if I can build, as you talked about a base, if I can build your aerobic capacity and your strength as much as I can prior to prepping more of that middle ground where we're going to see those CrossFit type workouts. I, my goal is to hold on to as much strength and aerobic capacity as possible while prepping the, the anaerobic system. And, and then for me, that's how I'm going to have you most prepared on game day. Um, you know, Because, again, I don't necessarily know what the event's going to be. Now, if the event was to come out and it was a marathon row or half marathon row, whatever they did at the games um, before, would you have been better prepared on that to do that maybe a month prior? Probably, but again, they, if they have a workout that comes out that's four minutes the next day, you wouldn't have been pre- as prepared for that. So there's some give and take when you're doing this because it is so hard to be 100% on every single thing. So I usually treat it as I'm going to build up the two ends that I can train simultaneously, which I'm a true believer that you can build really, uh, you can build aerobic capacity while working on maximal strength at the same time because I don't think they compete as much. If anything, the aerobic work, that, that easy work that we talked about earlier, only supports the strength training uh, but if i'm really trying to get you great at doing a 2000 meter or a thousand meter or a 2000 meter row for time eventually i'm going to eat away at some of those maximal strength and uh, aerobic capacity uh, gains that we were able to make in the off season just because yeah you're, it's it's going to be really hard to maintain all that but that's kind of the intricacy of it i'm trying to prep enough to be prepared for that middle ground stuff while not prepping so much that i lose too much on the opposite ends of the spectrum gotcha Man, my brain hurts a little bit. <laughs> well, this is where it comes down to really prioritizing, man. I have a whiteboard sure. literally everywhere. I have a whiteboard in my in my house. I have a whiteboard in the office at the gym. I use the whiteboards at school for this when I probably should be studying for other things. Um, and it's sitting there and it's looking, okay, this person has this event on this day. How do I make sure they're best prepared for the demands that they're going to see on that day? And this is where you know being with a coach for a while can help because – you know, everybody's progression is going to be different. Some people from, from my experience, I've had, I have athletes that I only need a four to six week energy system prep before events. Some other athletes, they really like a longer eight to 10 to 12 week prep. Um, and so no one's going to be the same. Uh, so it's, it's really individualized and that's what keeps everything interesting for me is every person's kind of a new, uh, a new blank slate that I get to, uh, I get to experiment with a little bit. Sure. So, I mean, you know, I think you basically just described this, uh, and I know you're just kind of just scratching the surface, but it's on a PhD level. But if anyone listening wants to learn more about this, you have any good resources, any books, any yeah. training systems? What, what do you recommend? Okay, yeah. One of the – a really easy read that I think is 
a, a must for people who want to get into energy system training is Joel Jameson's book. It's called Ultimate MMA Conditioning. And Joel Jameson is a strength conditioning coach that works with fighters. Um, he's out of Washington State, I believe. And the thing the thing that drew me to him is, is fight conditioning is so intriguing because in most sports, if I'm not as fit as you, I just lose. But in, in fighting, if, you're, if I'm not as fit as you, I'm going to get hurt. So the stakes are the, are so much higher with, with that kind of training. So to be successful in that sport uh, as a strength conditioning coach, you really have to know your stuff uh, because people aren't going to keep coming back to you if, uh, if they're not only because they're losing, but they're actually you know suffering a, a beat down there. So for me, Ultimate MMA Conditioning by Joel Jameson is a great intro to energy system training. Um, I always recommend James Fitzgerald's work. Um, his, his, his coaching certification program through OPEX is great. Um, honestly, that's where a lot of these work to rest times that I use and these progressions that I use, I was first exposed to uh, by him. Uh, I know in the CSCS book that I, think, I believe it's the Essentials of Strength or, or Strength Training or Strength Conditioning, um, that book also has um, some intro to energy system stuff and it has work to rest intervals there um, and, and, you know, basically uh, figuring out how many sets and reps for the different types of, uh, you know, types of condition that you'd be doing there. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head uh, which other books I would I would go with for this topic. Again, it's not as well researched. I mean, I can, you know, we can probably rattle off a hundred books on strength training. Um, but as far as energy system development, um, there it's, it's a little less, there's a, a, a lot of this, a lot of what I do is I take from running cause there's a lot of research on running. So healthy, intelligent training, uh, it's by Keith, uh, Livingstone, I believe, um, uh, is another good one that again, it's more running based, but, um, you can start to apply those things from a monostructural standpoint and then play around with mixed modal adaptations because I'll do that same thing with mixed modal stuff. We talked about a 60-second bike sprint. It could very easily be uh, 10 heavy rushing kettlebell swings into 10 burpees as fast as possible and then hop on the bike and sprint the remaining time. So you can Basically, play with – Gym, tri- gym triathlon. Yeah, know. yeah. You can play with uh, you know mixed modal versions of those as well. Um, you know, they, they, you just have to make sure that the, the intensity stays where you want it. Uh, but that would be where I would start. I would probably start with Joel's book. Yeah. Um, I, I think, um, that healthy intelligent training is a good book. Um, the CSCS stuff. And then, um, of course, uh, I'm a big fan of James Fitzgerald and, and his OPEX work. Sure. Got it. Gotcha, man. Um, so yeah, just like you said, you get creative, you know, uh, multimodal stuff. I mean, basically like the exercises are just the vehicles to get you where you want to go because it's yep. all about the intensity and duration, essentially. Exactly. Good deal. Good deal. All right, man. Well, um, anything else you wanted to get off your chest? No, man. I think that was good. Uh, again, we were just scratching the surface. This stuff is complex. Yep. Um, if you have questions, you can always reach out to either of us through our, our Instagram at Better Faster Podcast or through the website at betterfasterpodcast.com. Or if you want to find me, uh, at CPT underscore strength or Brandon at Vertex PT. Um, those are uh, easy ways to get to us with questions. Uh, we love questions. Or if you want to leave a question as part of an iTunes review, that would also be yeah. awesome because those iTunes reviews really are important to, for us. Uh, they help us reach more people, which is what we're trying to do is just uh, start the conversation about PT and strength conditioning. Uh, so leave us one of those reviews that we would really much appreciate it. And don't be afraid to throw out topics that you want to hear. That was great. Way to slide that one in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easy segue right there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Y'all have a good week. All right. Sounds good. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. 
one patient per doctor of physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.